Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 37. It's a rather long passage of scripture that I want to read, the first 20 verses, but I think it's important to get the context in which all of this is unfolding. Um, Hezekiah is the king uh, of uh, Judah at this particular time, and uh, Judah and particularly Jerusalem were under threat of attack from the king of Assyria, Uh, and as we read chapter 37 at the early part of it, we'll sort of hear and understand what took place and what Hezekiah did. It's the latter part of that section that really is most important, but I would like to start reading with verse 1 of chapter 37. When King Hezekiah heard this, that is about the upcoming attacks and so forth, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Sibna, the secretary, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, They told him, this is what Hezekiah says. This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace, as when children come to the point of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the field commander, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God, and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore pray for the remnant that still survives. When King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard, those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, I am going to put a spirit in him so that when he hears a certain report, he will return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with the sword. When the field commander heard that the king of Assyria had left Lachish, he withdrew and found the king fighting against Libna. Now Sennacherib received a report that Tirhaka the Cushite, king of Egypt, was marching out to fight against him. When he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah with this word, Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, Do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my forefathers deliver them, the gods of Gozan, Haran, Resef, and the people of Eden, who were in Tel Asar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Zepharam, or of or Iva. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, Almighty God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste all these peoples and their lands, 
They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. And then it's particularly this part of the prayer that interests me. Now, O Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Dear people of God, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that among that all men are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, and among them being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You recognize those by now famous words coming from the Declaration, the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence signed by the 13 British colonies on the 4th of July, 1776, exactly 245 years ago today. Subversia of our nation, which gives us reason to pause and to thank God for the blessings we have experienced in this nation in the past, but also to seriously ponder the unknown, at least to you and me, future. There have been, of course, some very radical changes in our nation over those last 245 years. We're still a free nation, but surely we are not without our problems. Our great achievements have not always had the result of making us better people. Scientific and technological accomplishments have not always resulted in us living with higher morals. In some ways, we have become more self-reliant with the result that we have depended less and less and less on the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. And we have become the poorer for that. How beautiful it would be if we could learn to pray a prayer like that which Hezekiah prayed in our text in that very last verse. Now, O Lord our God, deliver us from his hand so that all kingdoms on the earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. I chose that text for this particular 4th of July morning because I believe that it reveals to us an attitude that is vital to any nation. An attitude expressing dependence upon God. We celebrate a very historic declaration of independence today, politically, but while considering that, we ought to remind ourselves that it is really our spiritual dependence on God that will really give us greatness and an enduring future. I'd like to take just a moment before we get into the details of the text to sort of set the perspective or the background of it. Hezekiah is king of Judah during a rather critical period of their history. The nation of Assyria, of which Sennacherib 
was king was a major threat to their existence. His armies had already laid waste to a number of cities in Judah, and now he was also threatening Jerusalem. Sennacherib had sent out a rather blasphemous letter to Hezekiah saying, in effect, well, the gods of the other nations around you, they weren't able to deliver the people from the power of my armies. What makes you think that your God is going to deliver you of all things? Hezekiah went to the temple of the Lord. He spread that letter out before the Lord and he prayed those wonderful words in verses 16 through 20. And if we had gone on to read the rest of that chapter, rather a lengthy one, especially getting way to the end of the chapter, we would have heard the Lord's answer to Hezekiah's prayer, particularly in verse 36, which reads this way. Remember the prediction that had been made in the earlier part that we read. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian army. We don't know how. It just says that's what happened. And then verse 38. One day while Sennacherib was worshipping in the temple of his god Nishrach, his sons Adramelech and Sherezer cut him down with the sword. Which is exactly what had been prophesied by Isaiah in this early part of this chapter that we just read. So Hezekiah's prayer was indeed answered and the kingdom of Judah and the city of Jerusalem were indeed spared. God did make known his mighty power. But the point is, the attitude of Hezekiah's prayer is indeed vital to the life of any people or any nation. Trust in the Lord is vital to victory over the enemy. Well, what then is the first requirement in order for us to have that kind of an attitude? Wouldn't it be, probably, to recognize the enemy? To know who it is? In Hezekiah's case, it was very, very obvious. It's not always that obvious to you and to me today. There's no foreign nation standing on our borders today threatening to attack us and to destroy us as a nation. But that doesn't mean we have no enemies. Enemies can also be internal. In fact, when they are internal, they are much more difficult to, to define because we really don't expect to be the enemies of our nation to be found within our own borders. But isn't it true that under the proud front of military power and scientific genius and industrial productivity and widespread extravagance, there are some big cracks in the foundation of this nation? History proves that national corruption always precedes national collapse. I don't want to be a prophet of doom, obviously. God's in control, I know that. But isn't it true that in many ways we seem as a nation to be becoming more ripe for that? We need to be reminded again and again and again that the greatness of our nation does not depend upon our great political achievements or our industrial or agricultural output, 
but upon the degree in which we apply to our own personal, social, and national lives the teachings of God's Word. That's the yardstick by which our greatness is indeed measured. But there are few people in our society who want to use that yardstick anymore. They want to get rid of that yardstick completely. Now, repeatedly, the Old Testament prophets warned God's people about coming doom if they did not turn from their evil ways. Their long captivity, for example, was more than just a historical, unfortunate event. It also preaches a very powerful message about the seriousness of that warning. Edward Gibbon, who a number of years ago already authored a book entitled The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, gave reasons in his opinion for the fall of that once powerful empire. And these are the things he listed in that book, the things that happened before the fall of that empire. The rapid increase of divorce, belittling the sanctity of the home, higher and higher taxes while much public money was being wasted, a mad craze for pleasure which had become increasingly more exciting and more brutal, and the decline of religion with faith fading away into mere form. Well, if those things, if he was right about that in any way, that that's what precedes national collapse. Would it be possible that we ought to be thinking in terms that the termites of destruction are at present eating away into the timbers of our own boasted American way of life? Now, O Lord, deliver us from our enemies. Help us to recognize who they are and what they are. Save us from our own ignorance and pride as a nation. Cause us and our leaders to hear again and again the words of the psalmist who wrote, Blessed is the nation whose Lord is, the God, is God. Let that be our prayer as we celebrate the 4th of July again this year. There was something else in Hezekiah's prayer which I think is very, very important, and that was a confession of his own inability to deliver himself and his people from Sennacherib, along with an expression of dependence upon God, who alone could do what needed to be done in his situation. Deliver us from his hand, he prayed. He knew that he and his armies were no match for Sennacherib's powerful army. Their only hope was to receive help from God in a miraculous way. And isn't the same true for us today? We might be able to recognize some of our enemies all right, but are we able to conquer them in our own strength, in our own wisdom, and our own might? When morals have been completely corrupted, there's a little hope that we would be able to defeat those enemies in our own wisdom and our own strength. That's a very tempting thing to do, 
and it's very typical today. Think about what primarily governs us as a nation. A materialistic view of life. It's all about things. Possessions. How fast you can climb the ladder of success. How much money you can make. How many things you can have and own. Not only that, but a secular humanist philosophy, if I may call it that. We are considered to be the result of a long evolutionary process and we as people are only the highest form of animal life. So, in the minds of many people who have that philosophy, then we really are no different from the insect that we trample underfoot or the deer that has been felled by the hunter's bullet. And then where do we turn to deal with the problems that that view of life results in? Issues like abortion and pornography and euthanasia and racism and a thousand other problems. Where do we turn to solve those problems? We turn to self. We turn to that person who is just the result of a long evolutionary process, no different than a monkey or an animal of some sort. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, no army that has been defeated already in battle can turn around and say to his soldiers who are all dead on the battlefield, now come on, get up and fight. No nation that has become morally corrupt can turn to itself and say, now solve the problems of your own making with your wonderful human ingenuity. What has to happen, of course, is that we cast ourselves upon the Lord God who alone is able to make all things new. But that's so foreign a thought to many, many people in our own nation today, isn't it? The world says, Foolishness to all of that. Foolishness. You Christian people don't know what you're talking about. Your religion is just a crutch on which you have to lean. It's military strength. It's industrial productivity. It's modern equipment. It's natural resources. It's financial strength. It's inventive ingenuity. It's technical skills. Those things have got to be our saviors, of course. But if we have taken seriously the Word of God, then we know that when a nation becomes intoxicated with its own power and its own greatness and assumes a position of pride in self, it has signed its own death warrant. Do you think it's possible, even possible, that our nation has pen in hand ready to do that? If so then our greatest enemy is not outside of our borders somewhere, China, Russia, Iran, or whatever else, but our own faithlessness and apostasy with regard to the living word of the living God. That's our greatest enemy. So what's the answer? Throw up our hands in despair and say, guess we better give up. Can't do anything about it anyway. No. 
Rather, as much as within us lies by the power of God's Spirit, we must commit ourselves to living in obedience and service to God and His Word. The most effective testimony to others around us of the marvelous grace of God is our own everyday lifestyle. The things we do, the things we don't do, the words we speak, the attitudes we show toward our work. And let that be followed by a renewal of that historic declaration of dependence on divine providence, which is also found in that document of 1776, because I think you know it says this, and I quote, For the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. I wonder how many people in our world today, in our nation today, know that that line is in there with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. I bet if you tested that, and you would not ask people in your neighborhoods and communities who may not be Christian people, if they know that that line is in the Declaration of Independence of 1776. No wonder there's so much restlessness and insecurity in our society because there is no hope and nothing but fear of the future without God and without that dependence on divine providence. The best Independence Day we could ever celebrate is one in which we individually and as a nation would declare our dependence on the almighty providence of God from whom and unto whom all things flow. So our celebration of Independence Day ought to be much more than just a rejoicing of what we have known in the past. But it ought to be a day of prayer for our nation and her people with regard to the future. A prayer that goes something perhaps like this. O oh God, deliver us from the hand of our enemies so that all the peoples of the world may know that you are God alone. Save us from the hand of godless dictators as well as from internal enemies. Keep us from the deadly peril of making material things our greatest good. Give us Christian homes, Christian churches, and Christian schools where your name is held in high honor and your word is supreme truth. Spare us from the lazy, self-centered, or self-sufficient and proud attitude of independence which denies your providence and raise up from us sturdy sons and daughters who will fearlessly live by your word and proclaim it to the world. Save us, in spite of ourselves, from willful, willful neglect of your word 
Rebuke us when we go astray. Lift us up when we fall. Point us on the way that leads to eternal life. And with Hezekiah, may we have one goal in mind, the honor of God's name. I don't think any of us, any of us will argue the fact that our nation certainly is in need of our prayers. In recent years, the government has gone through some significant kinds of crises which we haven't seen before, it seems to me. The confidence of many people in government has indeed been lost. An attitude of indifference and carelessness prevails in many cases as the result of all of that. No one seems to trust those who are in political authority anymore. So we ought to be reminded today, and may God use us to remind others around us, that the answers are not found in our own wisdom and our own ingenuity and our own smartness, but in the Lord and in His gift of salvation and the freedom from sin's bondage that comes through the sacrifice of Lord Jesus Christ for everyone who puts their faith and trust in Him. It ought to be a time also when our own consciences are reawakened to the necessity for sincere worship of God, who in the time of utmost peril delivered King Hezekiah and his Old Testament people and upon whose grace we also depend today. May it be a time when we commit ourselves to do everything within our power to prevent our family circles from being a breeding ground for godless materialism. That's why we sang that song a few moments ago, which said, Thy love divine has led us in the past. In this free land by thee our lot is cast. Be thou our ruler, guardian, guide, and stay. Thy word our law, thy paths our chosen way. From war's alarms, from deadly pestilence, be thy strong arm our ever sure defense. May true religion in our hearts increase. May bounteous goodness nourish us in peace. O Lord our God, bless our nation and bring to pass your purposes in us and through us for the benefit of the whole world and most of all for the glory of your name. Let's pray. And I'd like to pray once more that prayer that I just made reference to a few moments ago as a prayer for our nation today. O oh God, deliver us from the hand of our enemies so that all the peoples of the world may know that you are God alone. 
Save us from the hand of godless dictators as well as from internal enemies. Keep us from the deadly peril of making material things our greatest good. Give us Christian homes, Christian churches, and Christian schools where your name is held in high honor and where your word is supreme truth. Spare us from the lazy, self-sufficient, and proud attitude of independence which denies your providence. Raise up from us sturdy sons and daughters who will fearlessly live by your word and proclaim it to the world. Save us in spite of ourselves from willful neglect of your word. Rebuke us when we go astray. Lift us up when we fall. Point us on the way that leads to eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.